island fever. A lot of us here in Taiwan have it because we can't travel abroad. But that means we get to go island hopping and enjoy all that Taiwan has to offer. And we'll be telling you all about that in today's Taiwan Insider. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. President Tsai Ing-wen has praised two army helicopter pilots who were killed in a crash last Thursday, calling them heroes. The two were returning to base after taking part in the annual Hanguang military exercise when the crash occurred. The military says they were above a residential area when they realized their helicopter was in trouble and chose to veer away and sacrifice themselves rather than risk the lives of those below. After an acrimonious confirmation process, the legislature has approved Chen Ju as the next head of the Control Yuan. The agency is charged with monitoring and investigating the other four branches of the government. Chen's nomination led to scuffles between lawmakers. Backers say she is right for the job, but opponents doubt her political impartiality. They say that's because the same Control Yuan once impeached members of Chen's staff back when she served as mayor of Gaoxiong. Taiwan's demographic woes have hit a tipping point. The Interior Ministry says the country has started seeing more deaths than births for the first time in history. Researchers say the slide into negative population growth will continue over the next three years. People are putting off getting married due to COVID-19, and the upcoming Year of the Tiger is traditionally seen as a bad time to have kids. And under the radar this week, it's a rescue center for wildlife. Taiwan already has seven of these centers, but this will be the first along the remote east coast, which is teeming with wildlife. Pangolins, Formosan black bears, and all the other cute critters of eastern Taiwan will no longer have to be sent far away to get veterinary care. And now for our words of the week, Andrew, ready to guess? Yes, I am. Applesauce. <laughs> Hungry Ar again? <laughs> Aren't you happy to see me? Uh, around the world. Arch architecture? Archipelago. That's right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so Taiwan is an archipelago, 166 islands. So that's a lot of sightseeing to do. And we'll be telling you more about some of those islands in today's show. Excellent. Are you ready for my word? Yep. All righty. Staycation? Aha! Uh -huh. Hey, that's right. That makes sense. Yep. So I, I kind of feel bad because I know a lot of people are staying at home because they have no choice. But if maybe we can flip it on its head and think about it with a different perspective, maybe every day is a vacation. Or maybe just staying in Taiwan is a vacation. That's true. We can venture near home and we still call it a staycation. Right. Why not? Enjoy what's around us, right? That's right. Let's put these on the shelf. Both Andrew and I were supposed to travel abroad this summer, but we had to cancel our plans due to COVID-19. In a way, you can say we're stuck in Taiwan. That's right. But what does stuck in Taiwan look like? Well, here are a couple things. Beaches, hot air balloons, even cruises. Well, you know, a couple years from now, we may look back at the year 2020 as the year that Taiwan rediscovered itself. With the COVID-19 outbreak contained in Taiwan, people can now explore and enjoy all that Taiwan has to offer. And they're doing it with a vengeance. It's called revenge tourism, taking revenge on the virus and its impact. 
Last weekend, people flocked to the Summer Travel Expo, the perfect place to use the nation's new economic stimulus coupons. Every citizen can buy $3,000 NT dollars worth of coupons for just $1,000. Not too bad, especially if you couple it with the government's other travel incentives like hotel subsidies. And people in Taiwan are lucky they don't have to go far to enjoy stunning natural scenery. Delicious food and a variety of museums and festivals. On the pristine east coast, Taidong just began its International Hot Air Balloon Festival, which runs until the end of August. After that, it will hold its international surfing and Ironman competitions. Then there are outlying islands like Mazu. It takes a boat ride or a trip by plane to get there, so travelers can even feel like they are going overseas. Once there, visitors can see a giant statue of the goddess of the sea and the exotic blue tears phenomenon that lights up the sea at night. Taiwan has even brought in an international cruise ship to take people on trips to the outlying islands. Places like Green Island, Shaoliuqiu, and Kanding also offer great snorkeling and scuba diving experiences. For those who want to catch an aerial view of Taipei, Taipei 101 is also offering a special discount for visitors to its observatory. Go now and you can get in for just one-fourth the usual price, only $150 until the end of September. So how do you get a tourist spot to go viral? That's the million-dollar question from even before COVID-19. Well, today I'm going to tell you about how a photograph changed the fate of a Taiwanese island. Sometimes a viral image is all you need to create a new hotspot, but we had more than that, right? That's right. One very important thing is, is you need an influencer. So I want to start by introducing you to my friend Ken. Now, he's from Japan originally. Uh, he lives here in Taiwan. He's best known by his Chinese name, Xiaolin Xianwu. Now, Ken's a photographer, a writer, and he's got a huge following on Facebook and Instagram. Great pictures, nice guy, and he's a good-looking dude to boot. So he goes for a hike, uh, and he sees this beautiful mountain, which is called Wufeng Qishan, and he takes a picture, and then he posts this picture on Instagram with the caption, Taiwan's matcha ice cream mountain. It does look like matcha, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Would you take a bite out of it? Uh, maybe. In my dreams. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As you can guess, uh, this photo goes viral. You know, sometimes all it takes is somebody with a unique perspective, a catchy name, and then all of a sudden you have this mountain that all sorts of people from Taiwan, even tourists from Japan, want to go and visit. So the photo went viral. What about Ken, the photographer? Well, he actually got his own TV show. Because of this photo? Uh, well, that's one of the things the that started. Wow. Yeah. He's also released his own book. And recently, the Tourism Bureau uh, asked him to star in a short film uh, to promote one of Taiwan's most famous mountains. So, Land of Legends is a short film that promotes Alishan, uh, which is home to the Zhou people here in Taiwan. Let's have a look. おちばは私をアリさんに受け継がれる神話の世界へと誘う。
人が教えてくれた始まりはここに二つの太陽があり祖先の生活は苦しくて寂しいものであった幸い勇ましい猛者が現れ彼は県南に立ち向かい一つの太陽を撃ち抜くと太陽は月になったそれ以来昼と夜が生まれた相続の人々は日が出ると働き日が落ちると休むことができた生活はとても幸せな暮らしへとなった月日が経ち順風な生活に大きな変化が起きた洪水が大地を水浸したのだ相続の人々は玉山の頂上に逃げ込んだが火は消えてしまった相続は神様に火を求め神様も火求めの式典を与えた洪水がどのように去ったかに関してはまた一つ神話が教えてくれるのである。神話冒険との会話が始まる Those images of、uh, Ali-san are just beautiful. I went there. It's an unforgettable place. You were just there with him, right? That's right. I was actually on Ali-san. I was there for the film release and I actually got the chance to talk with Ken. There were a lot of people there. The transportation minister and county officials were all there. And they also had some people from the Zo tribe performing traditional songs. And while I was there, I also got the chance to talk with Ken on stage. ジェハ
So if you're interested in connecting with Ken on Instagram and Facebook and watching this promotional video again, we'll have all the links for you in the show notes below. Okay, today in three picks, we're going to look at a beautiful little island called Xiao Liu Chou. It's also called Little Lambai and also Little Rukyo and Little Liu Chou. Has a whole bunch of names. Have you wow. guys been there? I have. I have. You have? Yes. Okay, great. So you guys can answer the first question pretty easily then. Okay. This is not about a picture though. Mm-hmm. Um, where is it in direction-wise in relation to Taiwan? Southwest. Very good. Let's take a look at the map. <laughs> see, see that, that little island over there. Leslie has fat hands. He got yeah, the buzzer the first. The <laughs> Southwest of Taiwan. It's only about thirty-minute ferry ride from Donggang and Kaohsiung, and it's only seven square kilometers. A little island, but it's a lot of fun. Little tiny island with Super a lot fun. of fun. A lot yes. of fun. Okay, so now we're going to take a look at another picture from that <laughs> island. Let's take a look at the picture first. So these are from Xiaoliuqiu. What are they? <laughs> hey, is your hand over there? No. <laughs> okay, aren't you? Those look like paperweights to me. Okay, but they're not. Oh, they are tokens you get for picking tr- picking up trash. That's on the right. They call it beach beaches. currency. And what is actually going on this week? And it started last week, last Tuesday. There's five big cleanup campaigns. For the sea turtles, because sea turtles can't tell the difference between food and plastic, mm. so people are cleaning them up. If you help clean up, you can get one of these uh, beach tokens, a currency, and you can use it you as use a it. paperweight. <laughs> <laughs> you can use it for discounts at the stores over there. Oh, excellent! Isn't that pretty cool. That's a great idea. Okay, let's take a look at the next picture. Oh. That's a beautiful sea turtle that I went to swim with. Okay, so that's, so. that's your picture. Yeah, oh, wow. and um, so a lot of people go to Shalusha for the sea turtles because they like to swim with them and to see them, right? So I want to ask you, in this question, the answer has a range. Look at here. He's about to go up to get a breath of air, right? Uh-huh. You know how sea turtles have lungs and they need air mm-hmm. yes. for oxygen. So um, how long do they usually stay underwater between breaths? Oh, man. Do oh, we need tough. a range? Or a we have range. to be in between the range. Okay, you had to be in the range then. I'm going to say three minutes. Three minutes. Okay, you're out of the range. How about uh, you? Out of the range? <laughs> Wait, three minutes? They're amphibians, so it's not like you or I. Why don't you take a guess, Leslie? An hour and a half? You're out of the range too. <laughs> How long? Well, oh no, actually, it's like this. Five to 40 minutes. Five to 40 minutes. If they're awake. I was closer. Oh, right? Wow. I don't know what's that. I said three sleeping, minutes. That's two minutes off. <laughs> they're sleeping. It's four to seven hours. Okay. Wow. So they can sleep underwater four to seven hours without going up for air. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? Super amazing. I want so, to be a green, little green turtle, little sea turtle. They're, they're beautiful, and they're just so fun to watch when you go swimming with them. Did you guys go snorkeling, too? I did. It was so amazing. I almost, I was swimming, and one, like, cut me off. It was so close. You have <laughs> to be really careful, because you're not supposed to touch yeah. them. Yeah. You're not supposed to touch them. And I was, like, trying to, to backpedal. wear a sunscreen, do anything that might harm them. So, um, mm. but they're really, really cute. Mm, super cute. Okay. Now, let's take a look at another photo. You guys probably recognize this. It's the most famous attraction there. People love to go there, and it has great snorkeling right in the area. What is the name of that rock? 
I think it's the Queen's head. No, no, oh, that, that's, that's in Yellow. Oh Taipei. no, it's in Liu Dao. Wrong direction. Wrong direction. There's one in another Queen's head. Okay. What does it look like? I have absolutely no idea. Can we see the picture again? Let's see the picture again. What does it look like? Ah, uh, what does it? Wow, look like? it looks Beautiful. like. I'm gonna say dark. something. I'm gonna say something <laughs> like totally off. I'm not gonna say it. I'm done. I abstain. Yeah, oh, come on, just make a guess. It looks like a bird's head. Nope. Not a bird's head. Oh, okay, it's called vase rock. Vase or flower vase rock. Hua Ping. Oh, because so you got the thing on the sticking out. I was just looking at the big oh, rock right. formation. It's so the vase rock is one of the best places to go snorkeling in Xiaoliuqiu. I just went there. We had a great time, and uh, I hope you get to check out our wonderful destination there, Xiaoliuqiu. Welcome once again to the Taiwan News Quiz, where I don't like the uncertainty of answering questions, so I'm coming back to ask them. <laughs> Now, Natalie and Andrew, have you guys been keeping up this week? I don't know. We we'll have to find out, right? Uh, ish. <laughs> It's okay, Andrew. Last week you dished me some humble pie, so I eased up on the questions oh, a little okay. bit. Sixty seconds on the clock. Are you guys ready? Yep. Yes. Here we go. Taiwan's newest envoy to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim, likened herself to what, saying she will use that mentality to combat Chinese aggression. Cat. Yes. Taipei Zoo recently named its baby panda cub what? Roro. Roro. U.S. Congress, Congressman Ted Yoho from Florida introduced a bill authorizing the U.S. to do what in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? Protect Taiwan. Correct. Last week, a Taiwanese student was honored at, as the youngest recipient of the Presidential Education Award. How old was she? Nine. Uh, nine. Nine yeah. years old. Correct. The legislative yuan passed a resolution to highlight what on the Taiwanese passport. Taiwan. 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 Very good. Taiwan said it will start certifying what food product to combat fake merchandise. Uh, uh, food product. Food product. Uh, some kind of meat. It will start certifying honey. Ah, honey. Yes. Oh. And last question: A private Taiwanese clinic says what food allergen is the most common among Taiwanese people? Mang pine. Mango. Egg whites, and the reason why I ask you that Whoa. is because I actually got a health checkup at that clinic last month, and I also did an, an allergy test, and I also <laughs> tested positive for allergic reactions to egg whites. But are oh, you? No. So I am one of the statistics. Really? Your statistic. Yeah. I never thought we'd see this day last. It's week. all right. I still eat eggs. Like it doesn't. So, so, so you so, can have eggs in like baked goods. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. But you eat eggs anyways. Yeah, it's a mild food allergy, but it's still. Ticks. I'm does still it, in that report. Do you, do you, do you feel do you? weird when you eat eggs? I have no idea. You, like, you're a little bit crazy. Can you try? Nothing's happened. <laughs> I, I, I just ate eggs before we started recording. Nothing's happened so far. You look totally normal. Yeah. So if anything's going on, <laughs> it's going to break out in just five more minutes. <laughs> so you know, watch out for me, you guys, when I'm eating egg whites. All right. But other than that, that was ta- this week's Taiwan News Quiz. All right, we have one final question today. What is the antidote to island fever, Leslie? I don't know, man. Island aspirin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's still a lot more to explore, you know. Mm-hmm. And even if you're just stuck in your hometown or your home, maybe maybe mm-hmm. just enjoy every corner of it. <laughs> I think so And too. Yeah, for me, there's so much to explore in Taiwan still. I'm going to give you a specific one. Go find a waterfall and sit in it. Aha! Uh-huh, sounds good. All right. Well, that's Taiwan Insider for this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you for Taiwan Insider. I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao, and I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Much of the world has been working remotely due to the pandemic. But in Taiwan, only some companies experimented with working remotely because we never really closed down here. Daphne Lee, editor at the News Lens International, wrote an article called Taiwan Missed the Boat to Changes Work Culture. Today, Lee shares her insights into remote working in Taiwan. But first, she tells us what some countries have been doing in terms of remote working. When I was writing the article on Taiwan's work culture, I was researching on the U.S. And actually, I think about over 68% of knowledge workers are now working from home because of the lockdown. So unless you're an quote-unquote essential worker, you don't have any need to go into the office. I think most of them have been working from home in the past few months. So that has been generally the trend around the world right now, except for Taiwan, I think. Now, Newslands International did try working from home a bit, and Lee tells us about her experience. Um, even in March, when the imported cases were coming in, everyone in the office was paranoid already, right? And then if you have like a slight fever, you, if you're coughing, and then everyone in the office is really tense, and then we're always like, okay, like, who, who in the office has it? Just tell us. And then, and then one day, like one of the Fridays in March, our company decided to do a drill, a remote work drill for that one day to see how everything goes. It went okay. Like our, we had our uh, meetings on Zoom and then we did everything we usually we normally do because literally none of our work requires physical pe- presence unless you're in um, HR and you have to do with some paperwork. Um, other than that, every, everyone can work from home. But still, I think the, the coordination was a bit off. And then when we actually did three weeks of remote work, I feel like we didn't really resolve the issues. Lee also explains why the work culture in Taiwan makes it difficult for remote working to take off here. Well, this is not based on scientific research, but just my experience and talking to other Taiwanese people. I do feel like trust is a big issue between employers and employees in Taiwan. It's just like if you want remote work to actually work out the way it should, Actually, your boss would have to place a lot of trust in you for completing your work independently. But I think that's not the case in Taiwan. A lot of employers actually feel the need to like monitor their employees. In my article, I mentioned my friend had to like dial in three times a day and like let his employer just watch him work for a few minutes. So that's really, yeah, that's odd. And then they also told him that he can't work from a cafe because otherwise, how do we know you're working? Um, so it's just like little things that don't really make sense logically, but they, they just have this like need to do it and to make themselves feel better. But not everyone is like that, but I think most of the stories I've heard are pretty terrible. Now, many people may think that only employees benefit from working remotely because they have more flexibility, they don't have to commute. But Lee also shares how working remotely can benefit companies. Well, the biggest benefit for a boss would be saving real estate costs. Let's say if you just have half of your team rotate, you can, like for us, we have two stories for office space. But actually, if we half of us are working from home, we only need one one story. Mm-hmm. And then this part cuts the rent by half. And then, uh, and also maybe it doesn't apply to Taiwan, but like in the US, like Facebook announced uh, remote work and then 
Mark Zuckerberg said he would um, adjust the payroll for people who are not in the expensive cities. So mm -hmm. that in a way also helps the company to reduce their payroll costs as well. Yeah, just a lot of logistical stuff that you don't need when, when you're not working physically in one space. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, this pandemic is a, is a good example. Like if your employee is sick, but he or she can actually work from home, but they just can't kind of get to um, the office. Oh, it happens to me a lot in my office. <laughs> so they could still work technically, but they just can't really go into the office. But then if you don't have remote work as an option, then that employee has to take a sick day off. That means that's one day less of productivity. He also shares about how working remotely in Taiwan could help its brain drain problem. As I wrote in my article, I think as of 2018, 78% of Taiwanese employers have that talent shortage problem. And especially, I think, tech talents um, in engineering or just something that's like data journalism or whatever, those talents are really hard to find in Taiwan. But if you're not branching out, and you're limiting every everyone or working in Taipei or Xinju, then you like you as an employer, you're really limited to just a few talents in the pool. But if you can work with a remote team for some of your tasks, then you can branch out to let's say Southeast Asia or Singapore or Hong Kong. But then again, I think that would that would kind of be not feasible right now. Because I don't know exactly how the government regulations would work if you're hiring employees overseas. Because I know that might accrue 20% tax for contract workers. That might, that's not very enticing for employees who want to keep it low cost. So that, that's something that the government has to change in the long run as well. So Taiwan never really made a major move to working remotely because we never really locked down. But Lee does have some suggestions for how Taiwan can adjust its work culture moving forward. Okay, like while other countries are already talking about how to refine remote work, like how to make it more seamless, like make it better and more efficient. In, in Taiwan, it's actually not even a conversation yet. Like the conversation is still stuck in wages, work hours, and like whatever, like employee abuse. But remote work is like not even in the picture yet. So I feel like to start, um, some companies are offering a few days of remote work per month. But I think if you're already doing that, you might as well make it more flexible and don't set a day limit on it. Just have your employees take their work from home days whenever they need. And then I guess as, as an employer, you will also try to be less, try and try less to penalize your employees for not coming to the office because there's this like workplace pressure that you have to be present to show that you're doing your work. So it's also a lot of mentality changes. So I think start small and just change the way you're behaving around employees. And also like as an employee, if you feel like if you feel like that's your right to do so, also like speak up to your bosses. Because I, I know a lot of my coworkers just like, don't talk to my boss for anything. And then my boss actually thinks I have like a really bad attitude. So it's like, if you feel like something is not right, speak up. It's also the employee's responsibility to change the workplace culture as well. 
Now, Lee's article was written in English, but also translated in Chinese, and she tells us about the responses she got from people in Taiwan. So, like, a majority of the comments were saying, oh, like, she just doesn't understand Taiwanese work culture. Even if we were going to work remotely, it just means we're going to work, like, four to five hours extra every day because our bosses are terrible. So that was, like, a general sentiment. And then there's, like, another layer to it that... People just think remote work is not in Taiwan's culture, and they say you can you can enforce your American mentality onto Taiwanese people. But then I was like, okay. And then I, I had a talk with my coworkers about the comments, and they said, well, like, yeah, that's exactly the mentality that prevents Taiwan from making progress because they think other more progressive work models don't apply to this small island, and then so they're forever. Just like on that treadmill, thinking, oh, okay, everything is going to stay the same, nothing is going to change, and then we're just going to sit here and complain. So those like were the comments I got the most from the Chinese version, and lots of attacks. Now, the theme of Lee's article was that Taiwan missed the boat and missed this opportunity that many companies are taking to restructure the workplace and even change the work culture. Lee tells us if she really thinks. Taiwan has missed a big opportunity to restructure its workplace. I think it is. I mean, at least for me. I mean, this this pandemic, even it seems like it's it's really horrible. But you can see how a lot of companies around the world are trying to survive within these limitations, and then like even old school companies, like insurance companies. They are also working from home. They're also trying to get around that that traditional mindset because they have to to survive. But then in Taiwan, because we don't have that kind of pressure and everything is normal and fine, then it doesn't really press the button to to force you to think about an alternative approach, right? That is Daphne Lee, an editor at the News Lens International. She recently wrote an article about how Taiwan missed the boat to change its work culture. Next up, join us for our weekly segment called Taiwan News Quiz. That's where me and my colleagues test each other on how much we've been keeping up with the week's news. We try to guess as many questions as we can in sixty seconds. This week, Leslie Liao quizzes Andrew Ryan and me. Naroa. The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. Welcome once again to the Taiwan News Quiz, where I don't like the uncertainty of answering questions, so I'm coming back to ask them. <laughs> Now, Natalie and Andrew, have you guys been keeping up this week? I don't know. We'll have to find out, right? Uh, ish. <laughs> It's okay, Andrew. Last week you dished me some humble pie, so I eased up on the questions oh, a little okay. bit. 
60 seconds on the clock. Are you guys ready? Yep. Yes. Here we go. Taiwan's newest envoy to the U.S., Xiaobi Kim, likened herself to what, saying she will use that mentality to combat Chinese aggression? Cat. Yes. Taipei Zoo recently named its baby panda cub what? Row row. U.S. U.S. Congressman Ted Yoho from Florida introduced a bill authorizing the U.S. to do what in the event of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan? Protect Taiwan. Correct. Last week, a Taiwanese student was honored as the youngest recipient of the Presidential Education Award. How old was she? Nine. Uh, nine. Nine yeah. years old. Correct. The legislative yuan passed a resolution to highlight what on the Taiwanese passport? Taiwan. 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 Very good. Taiwan's Taiex stock market hit a new high earlier this week. This is the highest it's been since how long? 30 years. 30 years. Correct. Taiwan said it will start certifying what food product to combat fake merchandise? Uh, uh, Food product? Food product. Uh, Some kind of meat? It will start certifying honey. Ah, Honey. Yes. And last question. A private Taiwanese clinic says what food allergen is the most common among Taiwanese people? Mangpine. Mango? Egg whites. And the reason why I ask you that is because I actually got a health checkup at that clinic last month, and I also did an allergy test, and I also (laughs) tested positive for allergic reactions to egg whites. But are you? So I am one of the statistics. Really? Mm -hmm. You're a statistic. I never thought we'd see this day last week. It's all right. I still eat (laughs) eggs. So so you can have eggs in, like, baked goods. It's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. But you eat eggs anyways. Yeah, it's a mild food allergy, but it's still... Ticks. I'm does still it, in that report. Do you, what does do it you do feel to you? weird when you I have no so? idea. You, like, you're a little bit. Can crazy? you try? Nothing's happened. <laughs> I, I just ate eggs before we started recording. Nothing's happened so far. You look totally normal. Yeah. So if anything's going on, <laughs> it's going to break out in just five more minutes. <laughs> so you know, watch out for me, you guys, when I'm eating egg whites. All right. But other than that, that was this week's Taiwan news quiz. That is it for Taiwan Today. I am Nellie So. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... 1895. Chen Chengbo was a great Taiwanese artist whose life was framed by two seismic shifts in Taiwan's history. He was born to the jarring close of one era and died amidst the upheaval that ushered in another. But in the 52 years of his short life, Chen Chengbo went far. He made it to the top of the artistic pecking order, further than almost any Taiwanese artist had gotten before. 
He painted works that captured a changing Taiwan and put his beloved hometown on the artistic map. Today, his works continue to invite questions from viewers. Among them, what it means to be a Taiwanese artist. Here to tell us more about the life and work of Chen Chengbo is Lin Yuchun, a former curator at the Taipei Fine Arts Museum. She was also one of the first researchers to study Chen's art. Chen Chengbo was a child of Taiwan's South. He was born in 1895 in Jiayi, one of southern Taiwan's larger towns. Jiayi was a town that would leave a lifelong impression on him, a place he would love and make the focus of many paintings. He wouldn't have remembered the events of 1895. At the time, he was only a few months old. Imperial China had lost a war against Japan. With the signing of a peace treaty that year, Imperial China was forced to hand over Taiwan to Japanese colonial rule. This sudden change was not accepted quietly in Taiwan, where in some areas, imperial rule stretched back around two centuries. Chen would have grown up hearing news of occasional revolts and the brutal crackdowns that followed. He would have also seen the town of Jiayi itself change under Japanese rule, as Western-minded Japanese planners gave Taiwan's towns and cities a makeover. Chen's family had a smattering of learning about it. Under the old order, his father had passed the local level of the imperial examinations. Chen's own formal education would take place under the new Western-style system set up by the Japanese. Eventually, this education would take him all the way up north to Taipei. There, he entered one of Taiwan's best schools, run by the colonial government. After his graduation, he went back south to become a teacher. But after many years, he found himself ready for a change. He'd had an interest in art, and after many years of teaching, he was fed up and looking to create. And so, in 1924, he gave up his position and left for Tokyo. There, he'd been accepted as a student at Tokyo University of the Arts. In Japan, he learned calligraphy and Japanese painting, but also Western oil painting, and above all, the art of sketching. Chen was in an unusual position. At around 30, he was far older than his classmates, a late bloomer. Then there was the matter of his status. He was, after all, a colonial subject. I asked Ms. Lin if his colonial status would have led to discrimination during his Tokyo years. She says she supposes it would have to a certain degree. But Japan's colonial subjects, while rare in the Japanese art scene, were not explicitly kept out. Instead, she says, few Taiwanese of talent had decided to devote themselves to art. In the world of Chen's parents and grandparents, painting was considered lowly, something done by simple craftsmen. Under the old order, talented young people had been encouraged to do well in the imperial exams, their ticket to a higher status. 
In this new Japanese world without scholar officials, they were now encouraged to become doctors or lawyers. Chen Chengbo's success was a big part of what changed all of that. Because even if colonial subjects weren't blocked from Japan's art world, it was still unusual for a colonial artist to really make it. But in 1926, that's exactly what Chen Chengbo did. One of Chen Chengbo's paintings was selected to appear at that year's Japanese Empire Art Exhibition. This was as good as it got, the place where the creme de la creme showed off their stuff. Chen was only the second artist from Taiwan to have reached this level of recognition, and he was the first to paint. The only artist before him had been a sculptor. Chen's success drew media attention. A reporter came to his studio, and he was photographed and interviewed. After reports of all this made their way back to Taiwan, people began to slowly change their minds about painting and painters. They'd even come to gain a sense of respectability. What theme had Chen chosen for his masterpiece? What he knew best, his hometown Jiayi. The painting called Outside Jiayi Street One is now lost, with only black and white images from the time to show what it looked like. It shows what appears to be a road under construction. The part in the foreground is still muddy and incomplete, with ditches to the sides that are crossed with wooden planks. People walk on towards town. One of them holding what looks like an umbrella. Across the ditch to the left, a man in a conical farmer's hat carries buckets. The finished part of the road starts in the middle, leading away into the background and lined with electrical poles, symbols of a new era. Further back on the left, though, the curved Chinese roof of a temple dedicated to the sea goddess Mazu rises up. The city's landscape is changing under Japanese rule, but it still has its distinctively Taiwanese features. Ms. Lin says the style was considered avant-garde for its time. She also says the painting answers an important question: What was it that made Taiwan special? Outside Jiayi Street would become a series of paintings as Chen continued to paint scenes of hometown life in the years that followed. After completing his studies in Tokyo and after all the fuss about exhibitions, Chen really wanted to go back to teaching art. Ms. Lin says that unfortunately for him, positions for art teachers in Taiwan remained hard to come by, and most of those that were available were occupied by teachers from Japan. It was this that sent Chen in a completely new but important direction. He decided that he would go to China. Though Chinese rule had ended while he was only a few months old, Chen still felt an affinity with the other side of the Taiwan Strait, a feeling many of his contemporaries on Taiwan shared too. Ms. Lin says that he even took to including his ancestral hometown in Southeast China on his business card. Despite the fact that he hadn't grown up there, and despite the fact he was living in Shanghai, a fair distance away, Taiwan wasn't the only place where the world had changed. 
The old imperial order had fallen in China too in 1912, and the China where Chen and his family resettled was the Republic of China. Chen thrived in this new world. He learned Mandarin, now being called China's national language, but a tongue still alien to most people back in Taiwan. And he would go on to repeat in the Chinese art world what he had already done in the art world of Japan. His work was included in China's first ever national art exhibition. During his Shanghai period, he would master new styles and complete an important section of his life's work. Next week, Ms. Lin will join us again to talk about some of the works that came out of Chen's Shanghai period. She'll also tell us the rest of Chen's story, why he returned to Taiwan, and how he met his tragic end. Lastly, we'll hear about how his works were hidden away, and how Ms. Lin herself helped to bring Chen's reputation back to life. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me then for another journey through time. This is Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. And I were supposed to travel abroad this summer, but we had to cancel our plans due to COVID-19. In a way, you can say we're stuck in Taiwan. That's right. But what does stuck in Taiwan look like? Well, here are a couple things: beaches, hot air balloons, even cruises. Well, you know, a couple years from now, we may look back at the year 2020 as the year that Taiwan rediscovered itself. With the COVID-19 outbreak contained in Taiwan, people can now explore and enjoy all that Taiwan has to offer, and they're doing it with a vengeance. It's called revenge tourism, taking revenge on the virus and its impact. Last weekend, people flocked to the Summer Travel Expo, the perfect place to use the nation's new economic stimulus coupons. Every citizen can buy three thousand NT dollars worth of coupons for just one thousand. Not too bad, especially if you couple it with the government's other travel incentives like hotel subsidies. And people in Taiwan are lucky; they don't have to go far to enjoy stunning natural scenery. Delicious food and a variety of museums and festivals on the pristine east coast. Taichung just began its international hot air balloon festival, which runs until the end of August. After that, it will hold its international surfing and Ironman competitions. Then there are outlying islands like Mazu. It takes a boat ride or a trip by plane to get there, so travelers can even feel like they are going overseas. Once there, visitors can see a giant statue of the goddess of the sea and the exotic blue tears phenomenon that lights up the sea at night. Taiwan has even brought in an international cruise ship to take people on trips to the outlying islands. Places like Green Island, Shaoliuqiu, and Kunding also offer great snorkeling and scuba diving experiences. For those who want to catch an aerial view of Taipei, Taipei 101 is also offering a special discount for visitors to its observatory. Go now, and you can get in for just one fourth the usual price—only 150 NT dollars until the end of September.
This is Radio Taiwan International. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 